friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my co-host and murder brain, Alex Dandino. All right. Before we start today's show, a little business. Guys, please take a second right now. Do it this second. Leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially if that happens to be Apple Podcast app. That's how we fight back against the algorithmic overlords. Uh, five star sentence or two about why you enjoy spending time with us means the world to shows like us. Thank you to those of you who've done that. It does mean the world to us. Go to YouTube, subscribe to our channel, Film Alchemist. You can see video versions of most of our podcasts and a lot of cool uh, other stuff we work on for you over there. So again, Film Alchemist on YouTube. You can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com or find us on all the social media that you're on. That's a great way to get a hold of us and let us know movies you'd like to hear us talk about, be they new, old, theme for a whole month, double feature, guest host, whatever you want to hear about. I want to know about it. I do keep a master list. Uh, as you guys know, every December we do all listener selections. We try to dunk them in there and use them to guide the show as much as possible. So if you've sent us a request, know that I have seen it and I have taken note. Uh, so we will get to them all eventually. All right. That's enough business for today. All right. We're back in court. Defending a law-abiding citizen until he done with the law and he abides his own laws. Uh, Alex, today we're talking about law-abiding citizen. I must confess, I had never seen this movie before. I had many of my friends over at Junk Food Cinema tell me how much they loved this movie and I thought they were all full of shite. I gotta say, egg on the face. They were right. This movie kicks ass. Alex, walk me through your opening thoughts on Law Abiding Citizen. I've also never seen this movie, never thought to watch this movie. However, it was yeah, awesome. Like <laughs> it's one of those movies where um it really kind of snuck up how much I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. It has this um it has this whole like I love uh the remake of Man on Fire with Denzel Washington. And like one man army movies kind of get me like i like yeah. those kinds of things like i like that kind of shit but I, I mean like man what a what a fucking tour de force for uh what i will say is like hoping one of the last movies i ever have to watch gerard butler not use his native accent in <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i just i like his accent that's the only reason i say that oh man yeah i thought he was great in this um I do think it was probably the Gerard Butler bargain bin vibe that I got from this. I should yeah. have fucking known the Jamie Foxes. I should have known. It was like going to be this gamer, like gamers. Another movie. I think I lumped in with this where I was like, eh, it's not really my thing, but like, well, I gotta go watch it. It might also be kick-ass. Who knows? You know, what's interesting. I was reading. Apparently this was originally supposed to be role reversal and yes. Jamie Fox was supposed to play Clyde with Gerard Butler, there's like conflicting stories about how it ended up being swapped, but it's, I mean, so well, I cannot honestly, like, I'm not sure it would have like changed anything. They both are so good in their respective roles. Yeah. Well, it's really funny you say that because 
specifically, right? Jamie Foxx is perfect for his role. Because He's really good. I was I was debating this in my mind, right? If you did a top five, who are the most charismatic actors, A-list actors in Hollywood right now? I think you would make the case that Jamie Foxx is number one, right? I feel like Will Smith has kind of been pulling back a little bit. His movies aren't, you know, necessarily of the same caliber. You're like, maybe Tom Hanks, that's likable. That's not raw charisma, right? I feel like whenever Jamie Foxx is in a movie, you fucking love that guy. You want to be that guy, right? Like the James Bond rules. I want to hang out with that guy. I emulate him. I think you could make a case he's right up there, you know, top couple most charismatic actors. What is really cool about watching him in this is that what he does so well is weaponized against him. His charisma makes him a fucking slimier snake. Yeah. I think that's a really fascinating thing about this role reversal or role, whatever it was supposed to be. It was not the case. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it's really interesting because James has the harder task here of being the, I, it's not the villain. Like, I think this is the really important thing about this whole thing is like, he's not the bad guy. He's just the system itself. This, I mean, this is the question you'll have to grapple with, right? And part of why the ending made me so furious, he's not a bad guy in the traditional sense, right? Especially when you think about, this movie starts us off with the worst guys, right? This movie starts off where it's just, here's a happy family. The dad and daughter are making bracelets. He's getting a little work done. Oh, honey, it smells great. Ding dong, ding dong, right? Banging on the door. He answers Uh the door and a hard reality hits him in the head, right? In the form of a baseball bat. And we watch this man be beaten, bound and gagged and watch and scream and cry helpless, impotent, right? As this movie is trying to tell us, right? To help out his own family, to watch his wife not only murdered, but violated, And then the ultimate horror is just the casual nature where that little girl's at the end of the hall and that fucking monster just picks her up like she's a Cabbage Patch doll, walks off frame. They don't show her screaming, nothing. They don't have to. They know they've already hammered us with that image, right? Mm -hmm. And it is horrifying. It's everyone's worst nightmare made manifest, right? Absolutely. And so the movie starts us off at that point. So the the hard act they have to do is right after that, setting the stage with Jamie Foxx. And we see him, right? He's like, oh, I'm shooting for way higher than your job. He's like this slick 96% conviction rate guy. He's talking it up, but you're like, oh, he's cool. He's cool. I'm with him. He's defend- He's on Jared Butler's side. Of course, he's a good guy. I'm going to like him. And as soon as he realizes, oh, it's going to be hard, he cops out because not because he thinks he'll, you know, justice or anything like that. He doesn't want to risk his his percentage conviction rate. And so you could make the case that because Gerard Butler says it later in the movie, right? Which is, uh, you know, lessons not learned in blood are easily forgotten. And that justice should mm-hmm. be the most hard uh, to those who bend it when they're supposed to dispense it. Something that's paraphrasing. But I think that's what they're telling us in the movie is that Jamie Foxx and all of these people are tasked with 
being in charge of this shit and to think that they're criminals as well. And I'm sure you picked up on this because it's not subtle. But essentially, every line of dialogue in the movie is meant to reinforce the willingness with which every single person working in the system is willing to break a law to get what they want. Right? Like it's every fucking scene and every line of dialogue a character has is fuck them laws. That's like the whole movie. So you could yeah. argue they are bad guys. I mean, yes, look, I'm not saying that look, movie puts the system on trial. Yeah. As the pod does as well. But like the movie is about how movies about how corrupt the system is, how is you know, like i the the scene that i always go to look i know we're kind of skipping ahead but that scene when um clyde's brought into brought into the court with the oh, form that's the, judge. the fucking that's the scene where i was like this movie is something different that's where it goes against what you think's happening yeah up until that point yeah i was kind of like all right i get it he's like master spy or whatever yeah. then he fucking drives it home where he's like you are the one who fucked up yeah like that was when i was like this might be a little different than what i'm what i'm already anticipating and it was but like that scene i point to is like such a great example of what this movie is about is like it's about system on trial and not just the system but the people who allow the system to fail that is like that's what and yeah like nick is Nick, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, Nick is a good spirited person and he understands the spirit of the law, but he's so caught up in what he has to do to be the lawyer, quote unquote, that he can be. He forgets the like pretty much the main rule of prosecuting the bad guys, which is you have to put the bad guys away in the way that they should be like, you have to yes. serve justice. Justice must be served. And just because you're giving your brand of justice, like, your brand of justice is not true justice. That I think is probably the thing that's most prevalent throughout the movie is like the brand of justice that we are served um, previous to Clyde's rampage is not the, like the brand of just, that's not what we should be getting. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the question of who is that justice serving, right? Cause there's that great moment when Clyde comes home and he's supposed to go to his daughter's recital. And he's like, you know, I can. I got work. You know, we'll watch it on DVD later. That's fine. And his wife's begging him, please come. And the daughter has been even indoctrinated, right? So that's that weird 10-year time jump yep. that they don't really address until the end of the movie. She's like, wow, he did a lot of homework on these guys in a day. Oh, shit, it's 10 years. The daughter's now, like, in high school. Like, they just throw right, that yeah. shit in. The, like, he was talking to her in the system. Because this is the fucked up thing, right? So he, anyways, I'm jumping around. But the line he says in the kitchen, right, which is, you know why daddy can't be at the recital. Why is that? Because daddy puts the bad guys away. And he's like, yep, daddy locks up the bad guys. And we as an audience know that's not true. So that's, it's it's interesting how they show us relatable lies that Nick yes. tells. How Nick is a I mean, scumbag, but he's still an everyman because I feel like a lot more of us than we want to admit put a lot of things in front of our family and we create these white knight scenarios about ourselves absolutely i mean you're never gonna tell i mean what's great is like the scene after too is when they go to the lethal in injection thing and he's got his assistant there um played by uh, i never remember her name 
actress who's um oh leslie bibb that's her name um leslie bibb plays her like his like um not she's like a second lawyer um like following him around i have and we'll have to talk about that in a minute but (laughs) but that scene what's really great because yeah he's like i put the bad guys away and then he goes to like he's just going to an execution it's not putting the bad guy away it's literally right you don't need to be there for that yeah well he he admonishes the other lawyer because he's like oh just getting some press and it's like bitch you're getting some press what the fuck (laughs) are you doing yeah Yeah, exactly yeah it's it's not seeing your own hypocrisy is the crime that nick it's more than ever more than anything nick's problem he does not see the flaws in his own game and that i think is what makes him relatable but still not necessarily the best guy he's and like there's no no physical antagonist for me in this movie because everybody is fucked up but like the ethereal judgment world is the bad guy in this movie like the 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 mess flawed law of man the problem is in this movie and that's what it does so well is by using all these different pieces like from the warden to the people who committed the crimes to the lawyers who prosecute to the lawyers who defend to the judge herself everybody's on trial in the minds of man and i think that's what makes law-abiding citizens interesting worth watching and not just like like you're saying like walmart Gerard Butler movie it's it's got some legs it's got it's got heat yeah well they do a great job with Nick too which is like you know the boss comes down on hey lady don't talk in the lawyer boys room and he's like hey she's right she should try the case you know and he gets her one and you're like oh look at him and then by the end of the movie you're like oh they've been fucking right like everything he does that is kind of okay and good they pair it immediately with something kind of slimy right uh, but yeah, I mean, it gets back to I think of this movie a lot in that that scene you said when they drag him in front of the judge. This is the mastermind guy. I thought it was going a little Cape Fear, right? Like he had memorized all the statutes and she yep. was going to let him go. And he goes, you fucking idiots. He's like, there you go. You were going to let me fucking go. This is Love the fucking that. problem. And that's when you're like, Hung oh, because I did have a couple buddies I was talking to about this and they were talking about, well, it's not very logical and i was like all right take that shit aside right because it's a fucking gerard butler movie right (laughs) about a law-abiding murdering citizen anywho it's like take that logic shit out right what i think this really plays as is this kind of grim's fairy tale right these are people who cheat and now we're playing in an alternate reality right this doesn't feel like a very real world grounded story this is a larger than life fable about good and evil right Right. like when we hear a judge say i'm a judge i can do whatever i want i will willingly break a law that i just kind of scoffed at how illegal it would be to do it because i can do whatever Mm -hmm. i want and her fucking ear explodes out of her cell phone right which is insane insanely this movie has awesome great kills by the way that was nuts but i'm saying that's not a super realistic moment of a movie there's not a lot of logic to that that's that's fable logic this is a person who did the bad thing so they get eaten by the wolf right and i think if you take the movie into that realm right and i think a lot of those little issues that you could try to nitpick away just don't fucking matter 
right? Like it doesn't matter that the lawyer's leading the investigation and driving around with cops. Yeah. Throw that shit out. No. This is, these are people trapped in an island of the damn. Think of this as purgatory, right? I think because you see it from the very first moment, right? It does feel horribly rooted to the reality of this world, right? Which is we see that opening scene and then him having to tell Nick, this is the best justice we can get, even though he's lying. And when, yeah. when we see Nick shake hands with the bad guy after he's like, you can't fight fate, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm glad the system finally worked. And he cr- has that cringy fucking photo. And you see in the distance, Gerard Butler watching that. Yeah. And then he goes home to his apartment. He's like, hey, stay in that tummy, baby. This world's full of crazy ass people. Every single thing we see after that moment in the film feels like a kind of morality Thunderdome, right? This feels like a different world where now we're going to play out consequences of your deals with the devil. Well, they're trying to... It's interesting. The beginning of this movie does a lot of work to try to justify Jamie Foxx's actions as a lawyer. To like explain that it's not just he's not just this he's not a slimy prosecutor he's trying to do right by his family or whatever like bullshit like i don't buy any of that like he's keeping his conviction rate up and that's what he does like he's a lawyer he's a shark that's what they do so when they fast forward 10 years and he's still this case this is like the thing that i think is interesting about this kind of thing is like imagine all the other cases he's probably made deals like this on. Like, why is this one important? Why is this one sticking to him? And that's the thing I kept coming back to is like, it's because all the other ones, Jamie Foxx knows this is the one he knows did not serve any sort of justice whatsoever. All it served was singular, which is him. And that I think is really important. And that is why you can't absolve. Cause like, I gotta be honest by the middle of the movie, I was like, can we not, come on man let jamie fox like you can't go after don't go after nick like nick is trying or nick's <laughs> trying to be a better like but he's not he made he took the he, he it was a cardinal sin he committed it was greed it was vanity and it was you selfish. feel like it was he's selfish. been continually making yes absolutely well, the one thing i thought too is i was like i don't want this movie because there's the scene when they send the murder tape and his daughter watches it. And I was like, no. Yes. And I was like, oh I so God. I desperately don't want this movie to become. I'm going to take your family away. And thank God. The I movie didn't want didn't to either because then he's not sympathetic like that. Yeah, because no. I think they know they're victims of Nick as well. Right. And this is the thing. I don't think of Nick. I never felt guilt like sympathy for Nick for one second of the movie. And honestly, I don't think sympathy is the word I'd use. Well, let yeah. me just leap ahead to a gripe I have. I was pissed that this movie ended with Nick watching his daughter's recital and smiling like he's a good man. I thought that was such a fucking pussy ending. (laughs) The fact that Nick just somehow, well, one, the ending kind of falls apart because it's the super genius tactician who does everything for a reason. You think we're building to this seven moment, right? Where, oh, he's left a lot of clues just lying around his fucking changing room and tunnels that lead right to his cell. You're like, okay, he's he's moving Nick in. Him and Nick have the showdown. He's got him where he wants. And he's like, oh, I didn't expect company. I would have cleaned up. Oh, God, you locked me in and you're going to use my bomb on me. 
oh fuck at least i'm a good teacher and he just like burns away and then nick's like oh thank god recitals slap in real life and i was like this fucking asshole does not deserve the happy ending whatsoever is he not scummier than every other person that gets destroyed other than the criminals from the opening scene yeah i was gonna say the criminals from the opening scene are definitely scummier than he is um granted i'm not sure i would interpret it that way necessarily for me nick is this is like i mean this movie ends up being really about i'm glad we picked it actually (laughs) because this movie ends up being much more about the lesson to teach a lesson to teach a man of law what the true law of man is that's a really important thing yeah this is the perfect pairing with the the lessons not talked about in primal fear yeah exactly that ending scene where richard gears like hmm better go back to harassing and he pauses for but i'm gonna go back to sexually harassing laura lynn yeah this movie says what if there's a consequence to that shit well so this movie also says and this is like you're like the finals like i'm not gonna lie like the final scene is also one of those things. It, it definitely got me because it's one of those things where I'm like, I get what's happening is Gerard Butler understands there's a rule, like there is a law of man. And then the, then there is just the laws that sit above us. And one of those is like, there are consequences to your actions. Gerard Butler accepts consequences. I think that's a really important thing. Gerard Butler, so many people, he understands that he, there, there's no way that he can just saunter off. And that's a really important beat in the movie. So what he does is he accepts faith that no matter what's coming for him. To Jamie Foxx, borrowed time. He says, you realize, he, without saying it, he gives him this moment of like, go be with your family like I want to be with mine. And if you're going to like keep doing what you're doing, you have not learned a single fucking thing. And I think that's a really hard about this. So yeah, like ends a little less 70 than I think you and I would have preferred, but the resolution will pretty resound, which is that like playing Jamie Foxx's character, Nick Clyde telling Nick, basically you are now going to be living on borrowed time, courtesy of this man who showed you what real law can be. That to me is a very powerful statement, a very powerful ending to a movie. Well, let me ask you this. Why, why was Nick never on the line? When all the cars blow up in the parking lot, Nick's car was clean, right? When he has the fucking 50 caliber bomb shotgun robot and just waste that vehicle. And then he's like, for good measure, rocket, boop, right? Why not Nick's car? So Nick is Nick is at once the target of this lesson and must bear witness to all this devastation. But at the end of the movie, I do not feel like Nick learned the lesson, right? Because he says in there, I don't make deals with criminals. I learned the lesson. Right. I'm like, this is not the same thing. What are you talking about? And then he just walks out and you're like, do I think now? Because that's the thing. When the mayor's doing that shady shit and he's like, I'll resign. And he's like, I think that would be best. And she's like, bullshit. And he gets a promotion, a fucking promotion. So what the movie is telling him is that he did do everything right. 
Do you think he stops becoming the DA just because he made a recital? I think he becomes in a DA. Like, this is a really, this is the really complex thing about this movie, I think. I mean, I guess it's not so complex. So like, it's not like I'm capable of understanding it. But <laughs> this is like the thing that I love the most about it is that everything about what Nick has to go through is about teaching, is Clyde teaching a lesson that I'm not sure he's that he's hoping because like Nick being the last person on the list is a, I'm giving this to you. You're going to learn from everybody else's mistakes that you're the person who should have done this the right thing in the first place. Like I can't guarantee that the ends and Nick's like, well, I'm definitely not going to do anything like that again. But the idea that Clyde, Clyde has is that Clyde teaches thus endeth the lesson that's like the important thing about how this goes is that clyde spends the entire movie teaching him a lesson and everything is strategic michael kelly who by the way plays like a cia operative in every single fuck movie i swear to god <laughs> michael kelly is the cia guy who um bruce mcgill and jamie fox like meet with and he literally tells them he's like whatever he's he to do it and unless you're going to walk into his jail cell and put up his head, you're dead. If you once you dead, you're going to die. Like, like a really, to me, I carried that through the rest of the movie. I'm like, all of this is supposed to be on purpose. There's nothing about, right. uh, like Clyde, I think, knew he was going to wind up there. But I think that's the problem is that they set him up as this absolute mastermind. And I feel like sure. the last like 15 minutes kind of unravels a lot of that. But it's, I mean, it's a super fun game while it plays, right? I, the first half right. of the movie is stellar. It's so yes. good and so fast. And it's him, you know, calling the guy, hey, drugs and whores, huh? Run. And then he gets him. And then he just turns into, once he starts like the puffer fish poison in the gun, and the, I'm going to mangle your fucking body. And we see the remains. You're like, oh, fuck. Like this, I understand. This be vengeance, yeah. right? That part of the movie makes absolute perfect sense. Getting butt naked Those just guys, to absolutely. flex on the cops. Weird, but okay. Sure, you work out a lot. You want to show it off one last time. Fine. Everything else, right? Even the, oh my God, when he fucking stabs the shit out of his cellmate with the T-bone. And we juxtapose that with the, uh, they do two really good juxtaposes. Whereas when they're, they're cross-cutting between the recital and the death penalty. Yep. And that's horrifying. And then when yeah. they cut between him having the nice, friendly steak dinner and them trying to find the guy who's buried underground, and he's literally dead because he didn't follow the bargain of one o'clock, right? And then he fucking stabs that guy with the fucking bone. And even in that moment, right? So when that happens in the movie, you're going, fuck, this has to be some greater piece. Why would you stab that guy? It doesn't make sense. This guy, because that's the thing. The movie wants us in a way to somewhat root for Gerard Butler. Oh, yeah. It, We're rooting for Gerard Butler in this movie. You're supposed it to. starts to slide. You're like, you can tell off a judge. You can make him bring you a mattress and food. That shit's funny. And your iPod, that's all great, right? You're running him around, showing him the flaws in the system. When he brutally kills that guy with the T-bone and is covered in their blood, that's the first scene in the movie we see a true representation of what he has become through his, his loss, 
And it's it's a weird that's when it becomes he's so much more nefarious. And then we get the CIA drop or whatever. And I feel like that almost sets the stage too high for him. Like that's a lot of pieces to keep juggling in the air. That's a hard screenwriting trick. And I feel like they just kind of dropped it at the end because he wasn't he didn't seem as clever the way the ending unfolded. I mean, to me, but the it's point not is so- still served. I'm with you on that. The point right. is still served. I think that's like, that is like, it's interesting because like, that's to me like kind of the hard, that's the balancing act of these kinds of movies. Really difficult thing about making an action movie set inside a legal drama, which is really what this is, is that you have to, you know, we talk a lot on the show about the giving the one, like those, these kinds of movies though require you to give the one has to be like thematic almost like to root for Gerard Butler in this movie. You kind of have to be like mildly amoral. Like you have to kind like other than the kills on the actual criminals, the other people who die in this movie, you have to kind of be like, okay with it moving forward. Or this movie does not work. Like, mm-hmm. I think it is a very, very difficult sell to and like, it's awesome to see. Cause you're just like, Whoa, what a kill. But like blowing a judge's head off with a cell phone is you're like, she's Jesus. Like that's like yeah. a whole other level. And like he he stops, he ratchets up, he kills Bruce McGill, he kills Leslie Bibb, he kills all these people. Like, I don't even remember Leslie Bibb in the beginning. Mostly of- lawyers, though, right? They kind of stay away from like cops and people that you're like, uh, eh, traditionally accepted to be like unkillables in movies. Right. right. Well, and like, it's interesting, like the cops are the ones who fucked up the crime scene and yet none of them are so no, yeah. no retribution sought against. Them. I thought those cops were getting wasted so many times and they just kept surviving. I think this is one of those movies that that's a little wink and a nod. They know who's buying this movie and that perhaps their audience doesn't want to see a bunch of cops get killed, but they're like lawyers and judges. Have this movie was not made in 2020, but yeah, yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> but this is a oh, difficult times. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. This movie is very recontextualized in 2021. But this is the thing, though, right? Is that this movie asks you to to try to choose between two legal systems, right? This is the old the code of Hanara or Hammurabi. Is that his name? The eye for yeah. an eye, right? Eye for an eye, yes. Then, you know, philosophers come along and say an eye for an eye leaves the world blind. Is that any better? Or this corrupt fucking nuanced, all these fucking bullshits and backdoors and tricks that inevitably are going to lead. Yeah, the wrong brutal murderer got the death penalty and the other guy was just doing drugs and hookers. And we know in our mind that's wrong based on that visceral fucking horrifying opening nightmare scene. But I think what you would say by the end is that neither is very foolproof, right? Because who was driving, uh, God, the old white hair guy, his boss, who was driving that? Yeah, who was driving Bruce McGill, right? Whoever's driving him was not criminally liable for whatever happened. Like they probably weren't even at his case. They're just a, a duty cop getting wasted, right? Right. That sucks. So Gerard Butler by nature, right? To kill that inmate with a, a stake bone, you could say he's a criminal. Whatever. We don't know what his fucking... What if he was just in for possession, right? Oh, I had a joint. Now I'm in here getting fucking stabbed with some dude's leftovers. Right. That's not that's not justice, right? <laughs> As it were. 
<laughs> I mean, I think that's a again, like it's that that part of it ends up being like a means to an end. Like, why why that guy? What did he? Do? Well, he's a criminal, so he automatically gets murdered. And like, but overall, the people who are culpable for the issue for what Clyde perceives as a grave injustice, which it was, is, are people who are supposed to uphold the uphold the rule of the land and i think that's kind of the it's constant struggle being again like very impressed how well it does for most of the movie handling like kind of complex complex morality like there's a lot of gray area in murdering people who wrong you there's even more gray area in murdering people who are part of the system that's supposed to right the wrong almost Mm -hmm. and that i think again like this movie spends so much time getting you to root for gerard butler that by the end when jamie fox is sitting there listening to his kids recital doing what any good parent should have been doing in the first place you sort of i don't know this weird feeling of like this is not like to me i i I got to the end i'm like this can't be the end not that like this can't be the end of the movie but like can't be the end of what i think will be lifelong ishbox's character like he'll is have to wonder and i think almost that's the greatest lesson that clyde could teach nick in this movie is simply like you will always be looking over your shoulder now wondering did i wrong the wrong man like well there you could if also i'm putting look someone behind it. bars yeah i mean you could also look at it as he loses his job because they would definitely investigate and be like, that was a lot of fucking murders. Oh, because you fucked up this case. And then they, I mean, they had to, they, at one point in the film, they just casually declare martial law of Philadelphia. So that's not going unanswered for, right? As soon as martial law's gone, the mayor's got to find some way to explain this shit away. A lot of money. He's getting had, right? Like he's done. He's fucking done. So maybe this is just a man who's lost everything and now he's outside of the system and that's his breath of fresh air to lead a, uh, a more than likely woodland. more than likely what he's doing at the recital is coming back from his long te- his law school teaching job because that's for sure because what he wound up happening. Yeah, I mean, he's I, I don't know. Did you get the sense at the end of the movie though that he like like in that scene is he a different man because he's no longer the DA? Or is he a different man because this has changed him fundamentally? Because he also uh, now officially committed murder, by the way. No, he moved a bomb. Gerard Butler called it. So technically he didn't. He let Gerard Butler, who is whose job title used to be brain, not have any idea that once they found his fucking tunnels, they could maybe booby trap them. <laughs> like it's, it's fucking madness. Take that shit out, right? That's just Gerard Butler can't win or survive this film. He absolutely can't. Because the sad reality is that when this movie ends, the rest of us still have to live in this country and deal with this legal system. It has to end with us believing that Jamie Foxx can go back out into the world and do better and use this justice system to the best of our abilities. Do I personally believe that? No. And I'll tell you the scene that let me know that I can't trust this man. When he's in the bunker, right? They're locked in. He's the new DA. He's like, we got to figure this out. Let me find these buildings, blah, 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 whatever. And I had forgotten earlier in the film, he said, I don't need to look at the crime scene photos. That's not what I do. He finally, for the first time, 
sees the carnage that we witnessed with Gerard Butler. And he goes, all right, I get it. I get it now, Clyde. And I was like, you fucking sack of shit. You absolute sack of human shit. That now you're like, well, dead's one thing, but these pictures, gross. That must have been a hard night. Like, now I understand. Like, the fact that he can divorce himself from what he's dealing with like that, was that was a stunning moment to drop in the film that we're going to be like, oh, look, he is having an emotional awakening. It's like, you fuck. Well, I mean, the emotional awakening is like, oh, wow, I can't just be a totally aloof dickbag for the rest of my life. I have to actually address this. He sent a man to the death penalty without having witnessed his crime. That's crazy. That shit. Cray. It's nuts. That shit. Cray. Let's it's- just call it what it is. That shit. Cray. I mean, it's it's fucking. It's weird. And here's the Even other. Even the thing. Law and Order guys look at this. Look at those. Look yeah, at those that's that's photos. all I know about police stations is rule one: every corkboard has dead bodies tacked to it. I've seen that in every movie and show. Here's all the death. Look at it. You cannot learn. deter me of that knowledge. Yeah, you're gonna learn from it, and I think that's kind of fucking important when you're dealing with sending someone to death row, or who not to send to death row. Right? Maybe if he looks at those pictures, he doesn't do the deal. The fucking thing about this movie that will drive you nuts about Jamie Foxx and this is he or isn't he a good guy? He's the only character in the film that never for one second ever second guesses himself, right? This is the Richard Gere and Primal Fear playbook. Uh, Just like a blueprint for lawyers in movies. I'm starting well, to get Richard that Richard Gere writes a narrative and believes it. This is different because Jamie Foxx knows that he fucking did wrong. Richard Gere believes that he is saving an innocent kid because that's what he wants to believe. Jamie Foxx knows in his soul that he fucked up. He knows that all of this is his fucking fault, right? Not that it's the blood is not necessarily on his hands, but he knows that it would have stopped with him had he done his fucking job properly. So he knows if nothing else, he was the fucking last straw, right? And when that grieving father saw him doing a handshake deal with the guy that desecrated his family, that was it. And the law abiding well, citizen knew. becomes he knew a right monster. There. Yeah. So the man who tells his daughter, he locks the bad guys up, created the worst one we see in the movie. And so for him to every scene, right. Uh, his, his uh, coworker, right. The lady, she asked him, do you, if you could go back, would you? No, we did it. That's the best justice can do. So justice can't be absolute, but we did the best we could. No, you didn't. We know you didn't look at the crime scene photos. We know you weren't investigating enough. You did a fucking calculation and you ran. You fucking ran and you sent the wrong guy there. We know he was wrong. No, 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 no. The mayor asked him. No, 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 no. Bruce McGill asked him. No, 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 no. And then even Bruce McGill's like, you don't believe that, do you? Right. Like indignant at the fact like, it's okay. It's our job. We can admit that there's fuckery afoot. Right. But you can't be lying to yourself still that you did the best you could and that we're not somewhat responsible for this. Until right. the end of the fucking movie, never once does Jamie Foxx ever say that what he did is an act of corruption, which leaves me absolutely no fucking confidence and faith that this man can be changed. Because somewhere in his mind, he's trying desperately to convince himself that he did what was right and just. I mean, that's got to be what most district attorneys have to do generally. Like, it's an interesting, like, 
it's an interesting thing in this movie that he does like he almost i don't know if you noticed this he never fucking apologizes in this movie for any of it never like and i sort of how this about, like weird how about this let me let me take what you just said to the fucking ultimate example how about when gerard butler sends the fucking murder porn dvd to his house and he doesn't apologize to his wife and daughter for having seen that he no. doesn't even go home in time to comfort his daughter. She's already asleep. And he just tells him it's special effects. Not, hey, there's a madman who could send more tapes and or be coming for yeah. you. No, no, it's special effects. It's this constant covering up. I agree. It's, it's a crazy. constant cover up. It's, I mean, besides it being like bad parenting, it's like continuous cover up of like how it's not even corruption. It's just how inept you are at being at defending the public from madmen. I think that's a really like this champion of the law. Like I put the bad guys away. Like that's how he sees himself. He sees himself through his child's eyes. So for him to fuck up so irrevocably and send the wrong man to prison, send the wrong man to a prison that does, you know, for like a limited sentence and, nothing else happened for the wrong to be so absolute yeah i think that it would be you almost start convincing yourself like like looking at yourself in the mirror becomes a difficult thing like i am a good guy i did the right thing i did what i had to do for who for who though and that's like the bigger thing is that's like the bigger i think that's the bigger issue the movie gets at a lot is like who did you who what did you do who did you do for and I think that's a really important part about the motivation for Clyde's character is like every single action that he's, every person he kills, every person he puts in harm's way, probably besides that poor guy with the stake, with the stake bone in his eyeball are people who justified their own actions through whatever means they yeah. had. to. And I think that's the hard part is like, I just kept asking, why is he trying so hard to reach Nick? and teach nick rather than destroy nick and it cannot just be because nick has a family you know as i i couldn't quite make that leap because nick is an actual sack of shit in this movie let's think about the other thing nick does how about six times say would your wife and daughter be proud of this hey man his wife and daughter were raped and murdered yeah how about stop fucking trying to high ground him when you let the raper murderer fucking walk yeah. free to his hooker cocaine party stop throwing <laughs> that in his fucking face like it's yes. some kind how about this when he walks in and their first thing and he thinks he's gonna breeze through a confession hey i'm breaking all the rules here but uh i'm a dad i get it i didn't look at the pictures but i get it i didn't read the case file but i get it but i get it. bravo no complaints here knock him dead that's what i say wait me ah! like that's the movie in a nutshell <laughs> But that's what I mean. Nick is such a fucking asshole. And it's funny because they weaponized Jamie Foxx's infinite, deep, beautiful wading pool of charm. You're like, I just want to stare into it and lather in it. It's amazing to be washed among it. And then they weaponize it to where his charm becomes even scummier. And it's it's unbearable. I hate Nick by the end of this movie with a passion. But I think I think this is kind of the fun game of the film, right? Because 
What it really is, is, you know, the mastermind. I can be anywhere, see anything. I'm so fucking smart. I can do it. As he says, I will bring this disease system down on your head, right? It'll be biblical. Mm -hmm. Where's the line between I will bring this disease system down on your head, Nick, versus letting Nick skate through the whole film? Or is Nick simply supposed to bear witness, right? Because again, this does play more as a fable. That's what I would go with. Like, it's like Job. Like, Job literally had to go through all that shit to prove his faith. So instead of it being proving faith, it's about proving proving that you learn. That the legal know. system works Honestly, when you just blew a guy. <laughs> to be honest with you, like, I think bear witness is a much better. Yeah. It makes more sense and is more resolutely about what this movie seems to be getting at because i think yes there's a fable attached here somewhere but then where you're just like hang on i feel like lesson's been lost ever since we blew that judge's head off like i need to like rein it in a little bit here and decide so like i think that bearing witness to again i back to this bearing witness to man's law versus the law is what i think nick's punishment is i guess well what okay so let me let me ask you this right so at the end the movie or the movie keeps saying not at the end more at the beginning right you can't fight fate right that's how i think of the theme of this movie right right who or what represents fate more in this film right because I would say that Clyde was not fated to be this fucking murderer. He was a normal. I mean, I guess you could say his gift was murder. They say that he had already killed, but for justified reasons. Sure. You can't fight fate, right? Is that just a, no one's going to change. No one's going to learn. This is just how it is. The system will always be corrupt and broken. I don't know. I mean, is this movie telling us we can't fucking change anything for the better? (laughs) I mean, I think in the context of the movie, is F. Gary Gray trying to tell us it's over? I mean, I don't think the man who brought us straight out of Compton's telling us it's over. I think that more than likely, I mean, to me, it's so about you, you do take an optimistic tone away from the ending, though. I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know, if, I don't want to, I don't want to not. Are you fighting fate, Alex? Is that what you're doing? Not fighting fate. I think that the concept of fighting fate throughout the movie changes. So like it begins as this, it begins as a very cynical thing. You can't fight fate. It's a very very cynical approach to the law. It's a cynical approach to the justice system at large. In the middle of the movie, you can't fight fate means that you can't undo what you've already done. You can't, you're fated to die. You're fated to die at the hands of this man that you've wronged. And then by the end of the movie, you can't fight fate ends up inversing itself onto Clyde saying like, you know, that you've now done wrong. You have done the thing that you should not have done. You want to seek true justice. You must yourself atone for the injustice you've caused. So by seeking revenge, he is fated to die anyways. So now it's in Jamie Foxx's character's hands to keep fatal, like to let fate play out. It's not his job to it's not his job to get a guy in a situation where he can like get a deal. That's not ah, fate. That's, that's intervening. So before he was twisting fate. He's twisting fate to his own to his own methodology. 
what Clyde spends the movie trying to teach Jamie Foxx is that you can't fight fate when fate is at your front doorstep. So don't try to, don't try to bend the will. Don't try to bend the will of fate because it will bend. It'll snap back. Yeah. And I, I think this, this is probably the most cathartic of the courtroom movies we'll do. Right. Cause this one oh, yeah. is taking the, cause I feel like all these movies are just legal shenanigans. Right. You know, every movie we've covered, Emily Rose ends with a girl dead. Mm-hmm. And now we're just fucking doing this malarkey about was it God or was it this priest or was it a mix of all these people? Right. Right. Primal fear was, oh, I got you on a chokehold loophole. You know, rub the pantsuit, run away. Oh, fuck. He's guilty after all. And this one's kind of the same. Devil's advocate is like literally just the fucking devil. Yeah. Uh, so it is. It's always about these fucking these ropes right this one is the most cathartic because this is the one where when you fuck around in the courtroom we bring this shit out into the world and it takes a second and it says what if if we can't believe in the court system right and you know there's a lot of evidence that we have a lot of problems with that shit right <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> it's it's not always great so if we can't trust them to do it right what happens if we go lord of the flies and every citizen starts doing this now. What if every citizen becomes the modern day Punisher? Where they're like, well, I feel like my mission's okay, so right. let's have at it. And it's just fucking anarchy and blood in the streets. And I think this is the one that really looks at this, this question of the courtroom, right? Mm-hmm. In maybe the most cinematic way, if that makes sense. Because it, it's just this actual, well, yeah. there's an actual battle of good and evil. That yeah. is more than just of the minds and ends in kind of a oh oh right. Like, you less... remember how the blob ends in a question mark? I yeah. feel like that's how every court movie ends in a question mark. Whoa, oh, except well, for like, this one. This one ends in a very this one unfolds in a very specific way in that it's about it's it's truly about the court itself, but it's what happens outside the court that matters, and I think that's a really important thing that a lot of the other movies that we've watched besides maybe Emily Rose um, haven't really been about, to be honest with you. Like they've been about the intrinsic value of the courts itself. This one is about the lack of value the courts provide and how important it is for us to take matters into our own hands. A lot of the time. Um, Just imagine that scene that even has the Saul lighting and aesthetics. Absolutely. Right. So when he's like, I'm going to cut your dick off with this. I'm going to cut your limbs off. You're going to feel it all. You're going to look at this picture of my murder family. Hey, I got a glass ceiling that normally only swingers have. So you can watch me do it. You'll know everything. Yeah, by the way, that's the scene where we all say, good. I'm glad that is a horrifying moment where that big giant uh, fuck mirror. We should all look in that and go, ooh, boy. By the way, point of order, he says he invented it or he made it himself. Uh-uh, you bought that shit off eBay. I know for a fact you did. All right. You Wait, know he why? said he invented mirrors? No, no. He said he was like, oh, look, I built this one myself. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, dude, you bought that shit off a swinger website. I know exactly what website you went to to get it. Don't even front. I'm not saying that I have shopped for these, but I know kind of a little bit about dabbling. Mine would have been for the celebration of life not the yeah i was gonna say listen i've worked on sex toy shows i know where those motherfuckers come from i know exactly the website you bought it from were you talent is that what (laughs) my mdb cred you know i will not 
imagine a film that says when that guy gets brutally harmed and you know it blood's leaking through his body in the death penalty chamber good fuck him that guy's getting cut apart good fuck him gerard butler comes in and honestly i don't think it's until he stabs that cellmate that you're like "Eh, maybe i should not like full-throatedly root for (laughs) the movie's constantly putting us in this this unwinnable scenario Yes. It's asking us what is justice, and I don't know if in this film we see any of it. I don't disagree. I think that's the. I think we see shades of it, and I think that's the thing that the movie asks us is to be okay with the shades of justice it presents. So if you can stomach, if at all, the level of justice that maybe you're comfortable with, maybe you're willing to take the ride with the movie for a little bit more. And I mean, that to me is... The really complicated thing about law-abiding citizen is no one's absolved of their sins in this movie, least of all Nick, of course. But Nick gets the second chance granted to him by a man who he complete who who he desperately wronged. Yeah, and I mean he might have wronged him, but again, he does he deserve all of this biblical punishment? That's what I think the movie is saying is that because that that's the fun game of this movie, right? Is what a lot of people will remember is the awesome one-liners, right? Like, it's going to be biblical. There's so many great, amazing lines in this film, right? They're going to remember the answering the cell phone and the shock of that moment. They'll yeah. remember the T-Bone steak shank, right? They're going to remember uh, all those cars blowing up. That yeah, was incredible. a ton of visual. There's a ton of awesome visual action set pieces. Yeah, the movie. action pieces and the thriller stuff are really fun. What I was completely unprepared for and what separates this from the other movies that sink to the bottom of those $5 bins Mm -hmm. is there is a really taut emotional core to this film that sinks into your very stomach. So as you're having all the fun and games, you still have to grapple with some big, heavy issues, right? There is value in examining humanity through this way and, you know, allowing yourself to play the fun game of it, but leaving it being not thinking about the cell phone gun, but like, wow, there's that's fucked up. Who was right? And that's what I did not expect from this movie is how well I it was, does both. I was not prepared to question who I thought was the right, right, was right at the end of the movie. And I, I like that a lot. I think that's, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this because I would have never said it 24 hours ago, but law abiding citizen might be a movie is a movie worth watching. I don't even think, I think it's a movie that kicks fucking ass. It is. I think the movie is so good that even if the ending left me a little, I think it's one of those, I'm going to keep watching and keep enjoying more and more. It's a fucking awesome movie. That's it. The verdict's in awesome movie. All right, guys, the pod has one more case to take. We will be representing 12 of the angriest men you've ever seen in movies uh so that'll be next week i hope you guys have been enjoying our guest host we have some amazing ones coming up so make sure you download that please share the show on your socials with all your friends get the word out there please leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show please subscribe to our youtube channel film alchemist please send us an email at filmalchemistpod at gmail.com letting us know what you want us to talk about and more than anything Thanks for joining us, guys. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Grigby. I am Alex Dandino. 